So welcome to the podcast, a travel companion. That was 2020. I put uh, all the memorable quotes together uh, in the end of your podcast. I'm very grateful for everyone that has been a guest on the podcast. Um, 2021 can only be better. What we hope for is that everyone will be healthy, will be happy, will be vaccinated, that we'll be traveling again, that uh, people will be thinking about traveling in a more responsible way for a sustainable future. 2021, here we come. Happy New Year. I've heard of solar planes, for example. Yeah. Where are they? Or planes without windows. Planes without windows. Yeah. That'd be nice. That'd be interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, they say that's better for the environment. Yeah. More streamlined, um, I suppose. Isn't it? So the the, the 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 energy systems. Mm. There's no. There doesn't seem to be many big differences in the energy system that planes use. Yeah. Um, so Prince Harry is having an eco conference. Uh, he's hosting that. Okay. Over yeah. the next two weeks we in should. Scotland. Ah. Didn't know they were sustainable in Scotland. Oh. I like Scotland. I love Scotland. I love Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> love the accent. Every time I call my bank, I don't understand a word of what they're saying. It's Halifax. I don't understand it. I'm looking forward, actually, to the next major project I do in places like Glasgow. Yeah. I enjoyed myself there. So Bezos is, uh, is it how many millions? Ten million? Ten billion. 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 Oh Not million. Billion. See, I was like Austin Powers. <laughs> Gazillion. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I was stuck in that movie. <laughs> Ten billion. No, no, yeah. That's not small change. No, it's not bad, eh? Um, Even though, according to Wired magazine, mm-hmm. it is only eight percent of his net worth. Uh, I do everything on my bike. Right. Um, Same here, but you're Dutch, and we are so am I. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> we're practically born on a bike, aren't we? Yeah, we have it in our genes uh, from our grandparents. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we can make, make a joke about that, but I, I will hold that back. Uh, as a, as a, if you saw a German and you always ask for yeah, bike where's to give me my bike back, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and I look up and I'm like, there is a Santa Claus, like a 250 pound big man Santa Claus, yeah. drunkenly going up the ladder of my RV, and I'm like, wow. get the hell off my RV! And I'm like, get off the roof! And the guy jumped down, and I looked to my left, and there's two like stumbling drunk elves that look like they saw a ghost, and they just turn around and run. A flick scam. I hope I pronounced that correctly as well. Basically, flight shaming. It's not flight shaming. No, it's not flight it's shaming. Flight flick scam shame. is not flight shame. They're totally different things. Okay, what's the difference? Okay, so uh, flight shame would be the feeling that you have of climate responsibility and awareness that what you are doing is not good for the environment. It's an internal feeling, and it's something you do to yourself. Okay. Flight shaming is when you would say to someone else, you shouldn't be taking that flight because it's really bad for the environment or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't do flight shaming. We don't really like flight shame either, but you okay. know, we, we can't deny that it exists. And yep. if it does encourage people to fly less than fine, but we don't push flight shame. We definitely don't do flight shaming. And I, and um, what the thing is here, it's been perhaps misrepresented by the media. So, So the simplest way to understand the difference between responsible and sustainable is that responsible is about what you do yeah and sustainable is what you're trying to achieve in the long run so sustainability is the goal uh, is that what you're saying sustainability is the goal and responsibility is the action Uh and over the last 40 years we've seen way too much emphasis on trying to include as much as possible in the goal and too little emphasis on the action right 
So what we say to um, people who apply for the awards, what we say to people who ask us how to do responsible tourism, yeah. is we say, look, identify some issues in your local area that you can do something about. Mm-hmm. Work out what you can do on your own or with others. Yep. Do those things. Tell your customers and your suppliers what you're doing. Involve them in it. Mm-hmm. And then report back what you achieve by doing those things. Mm-hmm. And in that way, you are making a positive, definable contribution. Well, uh, thank you for having us, Peter. We're yeah. so happy to be part here. Yeah, thank you very much. We're excited to have a conversation on sustainable destination management and development, particularly during these trying times. Increasingly, as travelers are making those decisions of where to travel, they're going to increasingly look for destinations like Guyana, where they know that they can um, support net positive outcomes associated with their visits. So now we're in that global arena and we we have to lead by example. That's one in three young people want to do volunteering when they travel. That's quite ama- that's quite amazing, isn't it? it? It is amazing, but it it is amazing mostly because well, you get to see that people really want to get immersed um, with the culture and an understanding of the local communities. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also nice to see that with Greta Thunberg mm-hmm. is one of the leaders right now uh, who is educating, I think, all of us and, yep. and young people as well um, regarding the importance of conservation. Let's go back to my, my, my thoughts on polarization. Mm-hmm. I'm either doing things or not doing something absolute wrong, absolute right. By moderating what you do, if everybody moderates what they do, mm-hmm. there can be a massive incremental um, improvement. So, my so better are, than being radical I in believe, an approach. Better believe, moderate is better than I believe being moderate right. is the better approach. If yep. you're radical, um, I think that will alienate the middle ground. Yeah. Then, another, you're British, so we can talk about Prince William as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, he's actually got something that's called the Earthshot Prize, which um, is going to basically five prizes each year between 2020, 2030. And this is going to be individuals, teams, uh, collaboration, scientists, activists, economists, uh, leaders, governments, banks, everyone who is really making a substantial development, outstanding contribution. Uh, to solving our uh, environmental challenges, called once again the Earthshot Prize, and uh, was inspired by John F. Kennedy. I think that will inspire people to do something. What do you reckon? I do. I mean, people have different views um, on the royal family, especially uh, now. But, but irrespective, irrespective of your views, yeah. No, you can't fault this. You cannot fault. I think this. it's great. It I is think it's great. very good. Yeah. Anything that gets people striving to improve. Mm-hmm. has to be encouraged and a lot of people do look at the royal family um for for leadership in certain mm-hmm. areas and for inspiration and, for, eh? and absolutely for inspiration so i'm so pleased this has happened but if you're looking on climate change as such um i might differ here uh, <clears throat> because I, i believe it's climate change is not the problem that we have okay what, what is the problem You and me, Peter. Me, me. <laughs> <laughs> we, okay. we, the humans, are the problem. So, right. so what we need is human change. Okay. We can address, we can start and, and uh, take action today. And 
fun we're sitting here today in the time of corona and everybody now is looking look there's dolphins in in <laughs> in venice hey look ah. the air is clean hey look well that's that's proof that it works so it's up to you and me and every second we we can make decisions how mm-hmm. we want to act so more practical Practical, yes, um, and I say, I mean, I'm basically linking that that understanding of the natural resources around us, and and seeing how that fits in with development. And I think again, you know, it is so important that it's not an either or. I mean, there are still people that say, well, if you want economic development, you can't think about nature. Mm-hmm. That's not true at all. I think about 80% of the people in Africa still cook on charcoal. Most of the charcoal is currently harvested very often illegally by cutting trees. Now, if you could actually use a grass species to grow and and convert that into charcoal, you would basically transform an illegal activity in a total legal economic possibility. So yes, using bamboo as a source of charcoal is certainly an option. Um, It's presumably not the best use of bamboo because there are other things you can do with bamboo, as I just said, uh, the construction um, and, and, you know, other ways of using bamboo for product development that are giving you a higher return on investment. But what you could do then is use the waste to make charcoal. Um, We are asking for donations for materials. Materials as well. What kind of materials are you looking for? Um, hardware materials. Yeah. Um, you know, we are building um, most of the stuff from bamboo. They've got in. Um, they've got um, different types of bamboo in Africa, which I'm not sure people know about. Yeah. I want to obviously go and, and and try and get some of that together to build the houses. Yeah, basically. it's very sustainable to have. Uh, and it's very sustainable, very, very, so yeah. people know that already. So it's not yeah. a secret. And she called that science gerontology. Gerontology. Uh, that is looking over different disciplines, why people die. Uh-huh. And uh, the number one uh, was basically the, the ducted systems. Uh, those ducted systems, I have to explain you a little bit. They're basically either tubes that yeah. we use in civilian homes. Yeah. Sweden, after the energy crisis, uh, made very bold steps and eliminated ducted systems completely out of every building. Wow in 1974 already, okay. because they're inefficient and they make people sick. So the, the ruler of Dubai basically lost two family members on very nasty bacteria. Right. One that grows in these dirty ducted systems right. uh, called golden staff bacteria. Okay. And the other bacteria grows in most Asian hot water surfaces mm-hmm. in, uh, in water that has been kept at a too high temperature. Right. And uh, that's called the Legionella bacteria. All right. It also grows in cooling towers here. Yeah, I, I believe so. I mean, I'm also realistic. I know that the a vast majority of them, it will take time to do this. But yeah. as you probably gathered, I'm not very much for sort of just throwing nice thoughts out there. I like to be able to say... <laughs> yeah, outspoken is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, but when somebody says, so how would you do it? My answer is hire young people because young people are not a huge expense for uh-huh. a company or for a community, creates a strategic planning unit for climate-friendly travel yeah. and get them to be your source of information and help on this. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you what, what would be the equivalent of 
the president of the United States task force. Yeah. You know, he still makes the decisions, sadly, but, you know, he takes advice from smarter people than him. Why is that important to me? Yeah. Um, because, I don't know, all my big um, mentors in my life and uh, inspiration that I've, I've had in my life has always been um, in nature or around nature or meeting people who who have dedicated their life to, to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's where I feel most at home and that's where I feel I can make the biggest difference. Mm -hmm. And from my father to all the people I've met in my life, um, it just makes sense. And I feel there's one, one place that we can really make a difference. And it's where I feel at home. And I think a lot of people feel this calling of, of nature, but mm -hmm. the ability for nature to heal us and that it needs our protection. It doesn't have a voice and we need to do our bit to, to, to help. I tried to buy some, but all sold out. I couldn't find yeah, anything. Yeah, but you know, what, you know what is really good? Elastic bands. Elastic you know, bands, yeah, yeah, yeah. My fiancé yeah. has got that. Because yeah. also when you travel or when you go somewhere, you, you can literally have them anywhere, the resistant yeah. bands. Then, yeah, get out. I also would recommend hugging a tree. <laughs> yeah, hugging a tree, really, yeah. And of course, these nurses came and they took a lot of vitriol. They took a lot of racism mm. and they made a lot of sacrifices by leaving their families, Peter. You've got to understand that. These were trained nurses, trained in the Caribbean, who, when they came over here, had to re-educate themselves. Their nursing qualifications were not recognized. A lot of people appreciate uh, the, the, the profession even more at this point. Hey? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, you know, it, it's an incredibly hard last three months. Yeah. You know, I've been a nurse for 30 plus years and this last three months leading the organisation as the chief nurse has been probably the most challenging thing I've ever done in my career. Within the UK workforce, if you look at the numbers around people who live in those poorer areas, mm -hmm. they will probably be of a black or Asian minority ethnic background. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a correlation between the socioeconomic and, uh, and the race, ethnicity mm -hmm. of those who are being impacted by COVID. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and it, all it does is just highlights the inequalities in in the in the country and in, in our society. Yeah. And you know, our government says it wants to level up the playing field. I'm not sure that their actions demonstrates that. Um, particularly when um, they kick the can down the road when it comes to doing all of the you know the actions taking actions from previous reports mm -hmm. um that have come out about race inequalities i think it's great that they've, they've set up another commission but mm -hmm. let's look at what's already been put out there what are the recommendations where do we need to make change yeah. so that people can actually believe that there is this need and want to um to level up the playing field for people across poor socioeconomic backgrounds and race mm -hmm. inequality and for some black people, for example, I received calls from people who were literally traumatized by what happened mm -hmm. because what it did was bring up some instances or um, past experiences for them that they never truly actually accepted and dealt with. Mm -hmm. And and then I had calls from people who were not black or Asian, but white people who were thinking, this is just, I never realized how bad things were. 
uh, well, thankfully my insurance covered all of it. Oh, yeah, that's uh, true. So yeah, that yeah, is why yeah, if you yeah. travel in an RV, you have to highly recommend yeah. you get the best RV insurance possible right. Right. because, and you always want roadside assistance. I had one person that said, Oh, I don't need it. And then they actually had a breakdown and ended up being like, I got a quote. I asked the guy, he wasn't supposed to tell, tell me, but I got, I asked the guy how, how much it was. And he's like, well, the insurance company is paying like $1,600. $1,600. Yeah. For towing yeah. and the belt. That's a lot of money, man. As a, as a tour guide already in the past, correcting people when they said Holland, and I was like, guys, because we don't call it the Netherlands Holland ever. Like maybe towards tourists, but not when I would be speaking to you in Dutch. I would never refer to the Netherlands as Holland. I have a lot of friends here and they don't think as Holland as two provinces in the Netherlands. They think as Holland as the whole of the Netherlands. What they say to me is crazy Dutch. That's the next day. That's actually, it's a really fun activity to do. Uh, and a lot of boat, uh, boat tours were organizing it last year uh, after King's Day yeah. to go around with boats and pig litter because of course... Oh, you did that yourself as well, yeah? Yeah, yeah, we organized it. Yesterday we had a call with Conservation International. Yeah. Uh, and a new way of creating um, a network of land trusts where you can where people can actually own shares in... Uh, uh, in these protected lands, which has all kinds of implications for the security of capital and and preserving biodiversity and forestry and all of these things. This is all of the smallholder farmers, informal entrepreneurs, people who work in factories, people who work in sanitation, so on. And they are looked at now through the current command and control lens as the last mile. These are customers or, or borrowers we can't reach. We look at it completely the other way. These are not the last mile. These are the front lines mm -hmm. and they need to be supported so that the small farmer and the small entrepreneur can actually, because they already do provide value. They provide 80% sure. of our food, 90% of everything we consume, etc. So I actually was very much pondering upon this. And I think this really stems from us. We should start with changing our views. We cannot accept this portrait that's painted by the ecotourism companies of what Native people look like. And I guess it would start with also educating ourselves before blindly submitting to this propaganda. You think that's the problem, that there's no specific guidelines for these ecotours? I do believe that this is the greatest mechanical drawback. Companies are free to do whatever they want as long as it looks sustainable to the eye. How could that be replicated in those countries, in, in, in your view? Well, I think the first thing would be for the people who are interested in going on these eco-tours to uh, say something, first of all. Because as long as these people continue to go for the current eco-tours, there's no reason for them to change how they are. So in, in the end of 1880s uh, and the late 1890s, it became the largest transport company in Stockholm. And, uh, and with horses and carriages. Oh. And at that stage also we transported the latrines from the city of Stockholm out to the suburbs, out to where the food were produced, to the farms okay. surrounding Stockholm. Yeah. Uh, and this is something that we continue doing today also. We are, we are the largest um, distributor of, uh, of uh, sludge, okay. from, uh, household sl from sludge okay. uh, to the fields yeah. in Sweden. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, this is also what we'll do tomorrow, but now on a global level. But uh, tomorrow we will not be doing it in the way we do today, handling waste. We will extract resources, phosphorus, potassium, and nitrogen out uh -huh. of the sludge and uh, deliver it to the, the lands, but then in a, in a total new way.
when it was really at the most silent, I was out there. I, I, I bought myself an electric bicycle cycling in the streets that were totally empty. It was like the nature had been given us a big cough. Yeah. Um, we have been putting nature in cage uh, for 200 years. Now it is uh, returning. She is uh, putting us in cages. One day we'll be walking out our houses and can meet again. And I use sort of the hashtag uh, circular ready coming from the days when we switched it from the fat TVs to the flat TV, yeah. uh, preparing the system for HDTV ready. Yeah. And this is how I, I, I come with a system okay. approach. Everybody belongs to a system and the business system is really attaching us all. You know, I, I wake up in the morning and I, I see birds and, uh, and animals and insects and flying around and I hear the river and, uh, and I feel the breeze. And as far as I'm concerned, that's the world we were evolved to live in. So uh, I, I prefer to, to live in that world as I have that possibility. Now, but certainly it, it attracts comments, especially w with a European passport. Theoretically, I could live anywhere in the world. So why on earth? China Vita, Colombia. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll see over time whether I made the right or the wrong decision. Hopefully it was the right one. Over 500,000 individual pieces of plastic from one hotel uh, in a year. That That is just horrendous, um, obviously. And that's just from breakfast cutlery and, uh, and uh, crockery. So. <laughs> I know that that was my turning point <laughs> where, where, you know, when you think about all of the other items that, that are there as well, the amenities in bathrooms, you know, that's yeah. there. But that's not in there. That's just breakfast. You're, you're counting there, right? No, this was literally just breakfast. Does that mean it's hopeless or is it, what, what, what do you think? Um, <laughs> there are days where I think, oh gosh, you know, will we ever be able to do this? And it just requires such a huge mindset change. And so lots of the monitoring work that we do is focused on measuring the carbon emission reductions of the projects, because that's how the offset mechanism works. You only get given a credit once you've successfully demonstrated that you've reduced your carbon emission. And that process is, is very formally set out. Um, and it's very strongly audited. When I'm explaining it to people, I often, <laughs> I often use a Mars bar analogy because in many ways it's exactly the same. Like Mars bar will make Mars bars and then they sell the Mars bar at the end, which finances the production of that Mars bar. Yeah. And it's exactly the same with, with carbon projects. So when you've got that micro detail, you know what your footprint is, what your contribution is, and that should make you feel good. And if that yeah. makes you feel good, yeah. you're going to repeat good behavior. And then ultimately, it's that, that behavior then will hopefully become intrinsic in future generations who are growing up with technology and social media. And maybe and they can share else. that information as well to exactly. other people. And say, this, you know, is, how like, this is what I've done this yeah. year. And, and people healthy, like that. Yeah, healthy competition, you know. Yeah. But for us, theoretically, we know that grassland is very important to the forest. Okay, why is that? Uh, one, for the forest expansion. Yeah. Then two, for the inhabitants. Okay. The animals, those animals that are good for tourism. Yeah. That's where they mate from. That's where they fertilize, the fertilization takes place. That's where they eat. Okay. That's where they graze. Mm -hmm. So we need that land. That is the potential area for the expansion. Right. You cannot talk of um, protect the environment uh, and then you forget the, the economical goals. Mm -hmm. Because as a government, the government has a, has, uh, a responsibility of creating jobs. The government has the responsibility of, of, of making sure that people, the, the citizens have 
as goods and services. Mm -hmm. So that's why I told you the issue of sustainability, mm -hmm. uh, of the sustainable use of environment. One of the things that I want to launch, um, and I'm going to let out the cut out to the bag now, yeah. um, is I want to launch a special sponsor uh, an acre program at Iwakrama to really have Guyanese and the international community get involved for a very measly sum. So I'm thinking of between 15 to $25 a year, mm -hmm. you can actually get your own piece of rainforest. We will GPS map it, we will generate a report, we will tell you what's in the, what's in your hectare, mm -hmm. um, what you do, and the contributions it has made towards uh, absorbing carbon, all of that stuff. And if I get that, I mean, from the initial figures, that could almost give me three times as much as I need in, in core operating costs. Especially with the younger audience, you yeah. really find that they can get educated about this and they can get, you know, and they get to ask a lot of questions. We were working with a lot of international um, companies, organizations, you know, schools mm -hmm. uh, sending kids on trips, on study trips and things like that, universities, yeah. um, tour operators. We saw all of that completely disappear. Mm -hmm. the, the most important thing for us was the people that we support mm -hmm. and having conversations and saying, um, what is it that you need and having goals in place and, and always going back to to those and, um, and and trying to stay positive together. So, but yeah, so that was the biggest challenge and, and being open again was great because it gave people something to do and, mm -hmm. and every guide was desperate to be back on the road and meet customers again. And now we're closed again and in um, English cities and in Glasgow. So that's um, a difficulty. And um, so we're trying to remain positive and engaging with everyone. Um, but yeah, we shall see what the future holds. To me, it was life changing, and yeah. and so it fueled the, the passion in me in me for others to have life changing experiences. But you you get to interact with people who who have virtually nothing, but yeah. but even you know, b before you're there, they're they're happy and and mm -hmm. and content. Yeah, and and there's an incredible. Uh, lessons to be learned from that um, for for me yeah. and 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 a lot of our clients I and mean, not just the kids but you know the the parents and or it might be the employees or the um, the, the students or teachers as well uh, so actually I should say so probably about eighty percent of the, those trips that we have are sort of conservation related yeah the balance are uh, for lack of a better word sort of humanitarian um, community related. Happy New Year.